Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky Show for this Wednesday, June 17th, 2015 edition. I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. And thank you all for tuning in from across the globe. And a big shout out today to my Uncle Wally, who I know is listening and is a big fan of my next guest. My guest today really was instrumental in shaping what I do today. My guest is Daniel Estelin, the highly acclaimed, award-winning investigative journalist and international best-selling author of The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, published in close to 100 countries, translated into over 40 languages, and he can now add to this impressive list of credentials, filmmaker and Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Daniel's a dangerous man to the status quo. He's a preeminent historian of the global elite. He's one of the most outspoken intellectuals out there. He doesn't mince words, and it is my pleasure to have him back on the program. Daniel Estelin, welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to have you back on. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's, I love your show, and it's great to be back on it. Thank you, Daniel. Well, Daniel, you started covering Bilderberg over 10 years ago. And back in 2005, when Jim Tucker was still alive, you were pretty much the only ones covering it and bringing it to light. Just this past weekend on the top of a mountain, closed off access and perimeters, Bilderberg 2015. This year on the heels of the G7, the participant list was, of course, online. And all of the same players were there, an eclectic mishmash of the who's who of the globalists. And pound for pound, this was probably one of the stronger rosters in history. Google had several executives. You have key banksters, the transhumanist crew. Every year, they're plotting more chicanery. Coming away from this weekend, what do they have in store for us now, Daniel? I, it's, uh, you know, to a certain point, I've been covering Bilderberg for almost 20 years. Uh, my book came out 10 years ago in, in, in Spain. Uh, in 2005, but I've been actually at it since uh, 1995 when I met Jim, met Jim Tucker <clears throat> back in 1996, actually in, in, uh, in the Bilderberg meeting on the outside, on the outskirts of Toronto and in King City. It was uh, an interesting meeting, uh, certainly. There's a lot of stuff, uh, 
which was discussed, which has, you know, serious implications for, for humanity, obviously, the economic crisis, you know, the transhumanist agenda, you know, cybersecurity, uh, Europe, Russia, economy, Greece, uh, you know, the United States elections, and all these other, you know, typical subjects which they discuss so, so often. But one of the things which really caught my attention is the fact that uh, the, uh, the director, the general director, International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, she wasn't there. And that's interesting because basically what it tells me is that the uh, International Monetary Fund is going through some changes, uh, you know, within its uh, political structure because uh, the alternatives to International Monetary Fund and World Bank, such as the Asian, the new Asian Development Bank being put together by the Chinese and the Russians. And uh, um, a lot of the countries in Europe, the Western Europe, such as England, France, Germany, Italy, they're also joining this bank against the interests and against, uh, you know, with all the pressure on the, from the United States administration and doing everything in their power to make sure that these Western European American allies don't join this bank. And of course they are because they're seeing that, you know, you, you have this, you know, shift in power from, you know, the old Anglo-American alliance. I think, you know, England and company, they're just hedging their bets. And which is, one, again, one of the reasons why Christine Lagarde wasn't there at the Bilderberg conference, because I think there are going to be some important changes at the very top. And other than that, Again, economy was, you know, big on the agenda and uh, everything related to, you know, to, to the destruction of the world economy is something that the Bilderbergs talked about at length. Beyond the typical Greece, Iran, Middle East, NATO, Russian narrative, the globalization piece, Bilderberg really was an important structure of the private financiers. They were able to impose their dictums. What would you say is the main difference between looking back at 54, you look at the George Ball, the Bundys, the Illuminati bloodlines, you know, now they have post-World War II baby boomers. I look back to 68, it's kind of scary they planned things 50 years in advance. But when you look back, what's changed between now and 54? Well, I think first of all, you know, the the uh, that you know group is a lot more powerful than anything we have today. The uh, Rockefellers and the Kissingers and the uh, as big Brzezinski's, but also other sudden individuals such as you know Prince Bernard, one of the founders, uh, Joseph Johnson, you know, one of the uh, uh, Rockefeller men in Council of Foreign Relations, was also the head of the Carnegie Endowment. John J. McCloy was also another you know CFR man who became a chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank. Dean Rusk, who was a top official of the Council of Foreign Relations, was also the head of the uh, uh, Rockefeller Foundation. These are the kinds of people that used to attend Bilderberg conferences, and uh, you simply don't have these kinds of people today in uh, anywhere. And, and so when you when you look at these you know individuals at the and, uh, the Rusks and uh, John J. McCloys and George McGee's, George Balls, Walt Rostov, George Bundy's, you know Arthur Dean's, Paul Meets's, these are the kinds of individuals that that actually made Bilderberg what it was back in the 50s and 60s, an important, you know, mid-tier, mid-level uh, organization, which had a lot to say as far as uh, moving things, you know, in a certain direction. Today, you don't have that because the, the individuals born, you know, the baby boomers after the Second World War, simply don't have the same kind of pull. And they also didn't go, you know, didn't pay their dues, quote-unquote, in a sense that, you know, the Rockefellers, you know, their wealth came from way back when. But also the fact that, you know, David Rockefeller was born at the turn of the century, you know, he went through the First World War, Second World War, there was a revolution, you know, the Great Depression, you know, Vietnam War, the, the, uh, the Korean, you know, conflict, and everything else in between, 
And so, you know, the, these people, you know, they got their practice and, and certainly their reputation was made in these very difficult kind of situations. And we actually go beyond that into the 50s and the 60s. And, you know, and these people who are actually doing their stuff in the 70s and 80s, they don't have the same gravitas as some of these individuals I just mentioned, which is, again, and the fact that you have the, you know, the Kissingers and the Brzezinskis and Rockefeller, which just turned 100 years old, you know, that they're, you know, dead or dying or close to dying, or very, very old, you know, George Schultz is as well. It only goes to show you that, you know, there's a change in the guard in Bilderberg today. And I'd say not only today, but over the past 20 years, has lost a lot of its luster. It still, uh, you know, has a certain level of importance, but certainly not what people make it out to be. And when you, you know, when you hear some of these alternative media sources, you know, when you hear what they talk about Bilderberg, and you see some of the protesters that actually, you know, turn Bilderberg into this, you know, one-eyed monster who control world politics, it's it's simply not true. These people simply don't understand how world politics, you know, the real world politics from behind the scenes work. And, you know, the trilateral commissions, the Bohemian Groves, the Bilderbergers, the, you know, Council of Foreign Relations, the Penai Circles, they're conveyor belts. The real, real, truly real decision making is done at much higher levels. And certainly people who reach decisions don't have web pages, as the case is, you know, today is with the Bilderberg Group. It's funny you mentioned Rockefeller turning 100. Like this month, I think. What's he getting for his birthday? Like a triple you got a new No, that's it. You got it. <laughs> you got a new heart. And so these are the kinds of people you, know, you had there before. But yeah, in Rockefeller's soul right now, he's completely out of this picture. You know, he does nothing. Not, nothing. I mean, I think he's, he's completely gaga, and, 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 uh, you know, which is one of the reasons he obviously didn't come to the meeting. But also when you look at people like, uh, you know, Henry Kissinger, he was there. But when you look at his, you know, public utterings, he doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of the time, he's not there altogether. You know, he's, he's like, you know, he doesn't take his pills. He's not there. His brain is not working very well. Zbigniew Brzezinski is very, is hardly, in, you know, in the media because again, he's also getting old. George Schultz is very, very old. Uh, and and so again, you know, Queen of England, she's like, you know, ninety-one, I think, or ninety. So there's gonna come a time very, very shortly where these people are just gonna start dropping off like flies. And I don't think there's anybody behind them who can take over their positions because they're, you know, these shoes are just too big to fill. Well, you mentioned it's more like a conveyor belt. Now, the real important decision-making, you know, the real power brokers, I mean, obviously these guys are powerful nonetheless. I mean, the media was a big attendee this year. As I said, central bankers, the whole transhumanist crowd. It's kind of consensus positioning, though. I mean, they hold some sway, but it's not, you know, I think about the CFR, the most powerful arm, really, the Bilderberg Group, the kind of premier foreign policy think tank they do wield a lot of enormous power but it's not really the round table that stemmed from cecil Rhodes to unify the world anymore really is it no it hasn't been for a very long time if, if you know if it ever was but uh you know the whole thing behind bilderberg when it for, was first put together was basically to uh you know, to uh, was an organization which uh, most of the or a big part of the initial members, uh, such as Prince Bernard, who was a, a you know a Nazi uh, a card carrying member, or people such as uh, Walter Hartstein, who was uh, the first president of the European Commission, or people such as Alan Dulles, uh, the uh, future head of the uh, of the CIA. Uh, these people were, you know, or sympathizers, Nazi sympathizers, or, or Nazis directly. So one of the big reasons for Bilderberg to actually become Bilderberg, you know, when they when, when they became what they were, was to control and to move the this, you know, the Nazi uh, loot stolen in the Second World War, the gold, the paintings, you know, the monies and everything else. Which is when you're talking about, you know, the German miracle back in the early nineteen, uh, in, 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 back in the nineteen fifties. No, that all had to do with, uh, you know, with this. Uh, with the loot being repatriated back into Europe, and Bilderberg 
played a very big role in actually steering and moving this money, you know, with the central banks and, and, and banks who got their cut, needless to say, and everybody got cut, and, and Jeremy, you know, was put back on his feet, and Bilderberg, the, one of the key proposals or reasons, you know, for being Bilderberg was actually this. Well, you mentioned the financial situation. 2015, the dollar is going to see a meltdown. We've really got this acceleration of events. All hell is really breaking loose. We've already seen the data that shows this coming September being a severe time of turmoil and potential disaster in the economic arena. I guess the most ironic to me, Daniel, like dichotomy in finance today is that even after tens of trillions of dollars are printed and exported by the Fed into the global economy since the credit crash of 2008 and the QE programs over the last five years, I was looking at the liquidity crises. There's a rare move by the banks into running negative interest rates on borrowing. Bloomberg said recently if China backed its currency with gold, the price would need to be 50 to 64,000 per ounce. Pravda published an article in which it asserts that China has accumulated 30,000 tons of gold. So China's move towards the taking over of institutions in the West is really accelerating at a time when America's primary financial allies in Europe are spiraling into crisis. And just yesterday, the International Monetary Fund began the process of seeing whether China's yuan currency was stable and supportive enough to be part of the bank's special drawing rights. The Fair Eastern Economic Power received the unprecedented invitation to become part of the London gold price fix. Does that surprise you? No, none of it surprises me. There's just so much stuff going on. It's going on at such an incredible rate that a lot of the stuff is obvious. But, you know, just on top of what you said, which is absolutely, you know, 100%, you know, dead on, you know, you can also add to that Russia, for example, jumped off the petrodollar, you know, recycle wagon. And so the entire oil trade now, you know, will not be kept in the United States dollars. And so that's a very, you know, big part of, uh, it's an integral part of the demise of the petrodollar. And, and, and of course, what the Russians are doing, they're reacting to the U.S. flag boycott. And just say, Americans and Bilderberg are not happy about that. Then, you know, a few months ago, you know, the, the Swiss, they removed the 120, you know, uh, uh, euro peg to their franc currency. And that's something which, you know, the Swiss central bank basically maintained, you know, for, for about three years. And, uh, and then, you know, it became unsustainable because, uh, uh, you know, this hoard of paper mache euro currencies would accumulate, you know, as much as maybe $800 billion dollars. Oh, 800 billion euros, sorry. And so, you know, what you're seeing is, is that uh, this is another key indicator of, you know, the crisis we're living through. You know, the Greeks basically are prepared to exit the European Union and to default on the debt. And as a result of that, yesterday and today, major papers in Italy, France and Spain, they're talking about if that happens, you know, the, the media are going to close down the banks and going to, you know, take a 10% haircut for uh, uh, the bail-ins on anything over $100,000 and 6.75% anything under. And so what you're seeing is, you know, on top of that, you have the uh, immigration crisis. You have, you know, the the uh, um, the refugee crisis in Europe, and, and so the French, for example, they closed their borders. The Germans have closed their borders. The Italians have closed their borders. The Austrians have closed their borders. If you're part of the European Union, there's an agreement called the Schengen Agreement, which basically calls for open border Europe. It's one big country, so you cannot close borders. We like closing borders between, you know, Alberta and uh, and British Columbia. You can't do that. It's one country. Well, they've done that. So the Schengen Agreement is, you know, it's done, it's over. You know, the French are saying, enough. We can't have hundreds of thousands of immigrants 
coming into our country. And the Italians are saying we can't have, you know, millions of immigrants coming into our country. And so they're basically, you know, are going against the Central European authority. And all that, you know, if you kind of look at it, you know, Greece was the first democracy in the world. And they actually they have a very big role to play and how this entire Europe is going to play itself out, both on the economic level and also on the on the level of, uh, of NATO. Another thing that's happening is the uh, the Euro Central Bank announced details uh, on the newest, you know, qualitative easing, you know, uh, tampering, and that's something that you know we have to worry about as well. And you know, they're to pile on on the bond on the asset purchases, and uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of that as well. And Draghi, who is a member of the Bilderberg, needs to say, and uh, the president of uh, Central Bank, is is very much in 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 this uh, equation. In Saudi Arabia, that's another battleground. King Abdullah died, and now you have this, you know, this new crown prince Salman, who is a new king. But, you know, Prince Salman, King Salman, you know, he's senile and yet he has dementia. And so the battle for succession basically has begun as rival tribes, you know, the for power after, you know, several decades of being excluded. So what you're seeing right now is Saudi Arabia itself is being teared, you know, apart from within. And that's one of the reasons why they're reacting so violently. And when you, one of the reasons why they're leading this war against the yeah, country, which basically it's, it's a desert nation, which can't do very much to defend themselves, although they're doing very, very well. And now the fact that this new King Salman is one of the largest sponsors of international terrorism, doesn't make Americans look very good. You know, so all this kind of stuff is going on, you know, not to mention the, the Gazprom pipeline extension Turkey, uh, you know, bypassing uh, Europe as a result of, of, of squabbles with the European Union, the United States economy, you know, which has this enormous miss in expected durable goods orders, you know, back from a few months ago. So this kind of stuff, when you actually look at it all together, the Bilderbergers are very, very, very concerned because the situation is dire, and they're for the first time realizing that they're really not in control of the game. Well, you're right, because when you look at the culmination, the Greek default, the IMF meeting with China to bring the yuan into the SDR, the war on cash, the escalation between U.S., NATO, and Russia, the bond market cracking. Is the death of the U.S. dollar officially here, do you think, Daniel? Uh, it's not officially here, but, uh, you know, it's certainly, it's, it's a very real possibility. And, uh, you know, if, if you kind of look at the stuff that's out there, what's going on, and you mentioned it, you know, you know the, the fact that Americans are in, in, in a position where, as, uh, you know, Bloomberg said that, uh, the gold should be somewhere between fifty and sixty-four thousand dollars an ounce. But this is, you know, this is a new. This is like you look at some of these gold experts from the past. People who really understand, you know, Jim St. Clair's, Bill Holters. They've been talking about this for a very, very long time. And the fact is that a lot of this information uh, actually didn't even come from Blue Book. It actually came from from Pravda, which is a Russian newspaper controlled by the government. Only goes to show that for Russian newspaper to reveal this kind of information. There must have been very, you know, a very uh, high level agreement between Russian and, and the Chinese governments between this, you know, between the two of them, this information getting out using, you know, such as Russia newspaper or, or media group controlled by the government to release this very, very vital information to the entire world. And then, of course, Bloomberg picks it up. But uh, initial information came from uh, from Pravda. That also goes to show me that, you know, there's a lot of stuff being done, a lot of games being played right now, you know, behind the scenes. And these games, they're scary and terrifying. And we just, you know, little, very little low level players. We cannot very, do very much and we can just only watch in awe and hope and pray that these people don't destroy the entire world. Is there anything anymore that actually surprises you, though? Um, 
It's it's a good question. You know, it's uh, you know I, again. I think you know Bilderberg is scared, and, and the fact is that they're scared. It you know surprises me. It's also surprising that the fact that you know they have the meeting this year so late because usually Bilderberg meetings take place somewhere you know late April, which is a bit early, or somewhere mid May to late May. That's you know pretty much about the twentieth of May is when they usually have their meetings between the tenth and twentieth. And the fact is that this year their meeting is being held in June, and June you know is is uh, uh, an important month. Uh, for many different reasons, uh, you know, and the fact that this is being done right now is is surprising because you know uh, I knew about this meeting being held uh, at this time of the year back in October with my sources at the uh, Austrian Ministry of the Interior sent me a document where basically this document said that you know holidays, official holidays for everybody's out for the early part of June because Bilderberg is going to be having the meeting. So you know that was uh, for me the you know the red flag. But a lot of stuff were going on. So when, when Bilderbergers. They decided in the June meeting, G7 obviously was decided way, you know, ahead of time, so they knew at the time. Bilderbergers are going to be meeting right around the time of the G7 meeting as well. But if you look at the things that are happening in June, if you haven't had the foresight, you know, a year in advance as these people do, for example, uh, you have this Austrian mortgage bank with a very funny name, Hippo Alpo Adria. Okay, and they have to make a payment. Of, it's a really funny, funny name. Try to say it fast like 10 times, you know. Uh, they have to make this payment of 500 million euros. Uh, and they don't, they'll start this chain reaction. And if you kind of, you know, recall back to what I said about, you know, the Swiss depegging from the, uh, from the euro, you know, this situation actually came about when the Swiss depegged the franc and, you know, revalued uh, their currency about 30% in about, you know, five, 10 minutes. Uh, in many cases, made the loans in Swiss francs worth more than the underlying properties themselves. And so when you look at, for example, uh, the, the province such as Carinthia, where, you know, they've already backed away from, from pledges previously made by simply saying, you know, we simply can't pay, we can't do this. So this is one of the things that's happening in June. Another thing is happening in June is, you know, the Greeks, they missed the deadlines, uh, you know, that they had to pay uh, 320 billion euros. They don't have the money. And the only way out of this is actually to pay, you know, to, to borrow more or default and then, you know, go you know, to, to Russia and, and, and China and have them as, as trading partners, which is, you know, kind of makes sense because Greece is a natural trading partner with Russia and it does it, you know, along the old Silk Road. And so, and then you have, of course, you know, the whole situation in Ukraine, which is, again, one of the reasons why June was an important date and why it made sense to meet in June as opposed to May, when the International Monetary Fund, they want to restructure this $10 billion worth of Ukrainian debt with private holders. And basically what they're saying is give us some money, but you're not going to get any of it back. And, you know, so the Russians who basically lent Ukrainians $3 billion, they're saying we want all of it back. And what it all with interest and, and the International Monetary Fund is saying anybody who wants their money, they, uh, they're going to get 40%, 50% at most. And you also, you know, you mentioned something about the 30,000 tons. And, you know, I, I said uh, this whole thing came, you know, via Pravda, this information about the fact that the Chinese holdings are 30,000 tons of gold, which is, you know, according to the official numbers, it's three times what the Americans have. Of course, Americans have a lot less because they sold most of it to China. But, you know, again, how would Pravda know this information unless it came from very high sources, which means that, again, the Russians and the Chinese are working very closely together, which is, again, one of the reasons why John Kerry uh, went to Russia and did an about-face, uh, you know, to talk to Putin in, uh, in, in Sochi. You know, so many games being played right now. And also there's another interesting June deadline, which is, you know, India trying to remonetize gold. And, and, and you know, what they basically proposed is, 
is to allow the deposit of gold on accounts and interest paid on it. And so this, you know, this would increase uh, and, uh, the, the economy with a shot of adrenaline as uh, collateral will be, you know, massively boosted. And the fact is that, you know, the Indians have a lot of gold. They have traditionally have had a lot of gold. Uh, only goes to show that, you know, these people are hoarding their gold and they can use their gold as, you know, as, as real, you know, global asset. And so, the, again, this is the kind of stuff which is surprising, but at the same time, you're seeing a lot of these you know, elements and mechanisms coming together. You can go to bed again on Friday, you know, you see one world and, you know, you wake up on Monday and you say to yourself, what happened? What, what, what happened to my world? Because in a matter of 24-hour period, this entire thing could change. You could just, you know, go belly up and gold could go from $1,300 an ounce that it is today today, or 1200 whatever it is today, you know, to fifty, sixty thousand dollars an ounce and people who have a little bit of gold, you know, will will immediately, you know, be multi-millionaires. Well, things are moving so fast, Daniel, and now the agenda we see is really ramping up. What used to take the Bilderbergs months is now only shaping up in weeks. You, you talked about Russia backing the SWIFT, the bank run in Greece. These guys are clearly cashing out. But the disturbing things is a lot of things going on that you're not hearing about. No one's talking about France or David Cameron promising a referendum or the COMEX. India, there's a lot of things going on. And of course, you know, what does this look like on Main Street for Joe Lunchbox Carrier when this thing goes off the rails? Well, it doesn't mean very much because, you know, Joe Lunchbox Carrier doesn't have very much to, you know, to begin with. So nothing much is going to change for him. But certainly what we are witnessing, we, you know, for example, in Europe, you mentioned France, witnessing countries, they, they're, they're taking their uh, nation state rights back. And as I said, you know, France, they closed the border. So now if you want, you know, I just came back from the Bilderberg Conference and I went from Austria, you know, to, uh, to Italy, to Milan. And then, we, you know, we flew to France and we had to do a change in Paris, you know, to actually get to Barcelona. And, and when, when, when we got to Paris, we had to show our passports. And, you know, this is something that, you know, I, you know, I have my Canadian passport, so I always have to show my passport anyway. But it's, it's amazing because usually when you, you know, travel within Europe, you don't have to go through customs. You don't have to go through passport controls. And I haven't gone through passport controls in about, I don't know, 15 years or whatever it has been since, you know, Europe became one. But now it's back on. And so you can't get into France unless you have your, you know, your valid documents. You can't get into Italy. You know, they closed the border between Italy and France and Vintimiglia, which is a point where a lot of the immigrants are, you know, going from one country to the next. They simply don't want them there. And uh, they're doing the same in Germany. They're doing the same in Austria. And so Europe is clamping down. And, you know, if Northern Europe is clamping down, it's basically leaving Southern Europe, you know, the the Portuguese, the Spaniards, the Italians, the Greeks, you know, completely out of the picture. And the fact that these countries don't, you know, have nothing to offer most of the time, you know, Portugal is, you know, disintegrating. Spain is a disgrace. You know, Italy from Rome down is like, you know, completely third world. Greece, well, Greece is not a country to protect it right now, you know. And so when you're looking at these, uh, um, at these countries, it's, it's, it's a situation where they're not supposed to survive. You know, they're not expected to survive just as you had, you know, after the 2007, 2008 crisis, they started, you know, the reorganizing financial system, but it wasn't, you know, to save the system. It was, you know, to save themselves. And, and, uh, you're seeing that today. And, uh, and, uh, a lot of these, uh, banks and a lot of the people, a lot of the countries are going to go by the wayside and, uh, they're going to do is they're going to take advantage of that, the elitists and reorganize the financial system, create another system. Uh, you know, cashless society is very much discussed on the agenda, and that's very much related, you know, to the whole transhumanist agenda. Because again, if you're looking at uh, smartphones, uh, they're they're going to be a very big part of uh, uh, cashless society because you know you can do so much right now with a smartphone, which uh, you couldn't do with uh, other phones or any account technology in the past. Well, 
that's a really good segue because there were a lot of scientists on the list of the Bilderberg attendees. Again, Google executives. One of the main themes, as you just mentioned now on the table, is transhumanism, this artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, chemical weapons threats. New York Times had a transhumanism on the front page. I mean, it's becoming trendy now in the mainstream when you look at the nanotech, biotech. I mean, you wrote an incredible book last year, Trans Evolution. And to think, Dan, that a present-day five-year-old surely might be the last human being, their children are going to not be human. Man, machine, post-human, synthetic biology, cyborgs. I mean, this is really stunning what they're doing with the transhumanism agenda. But, you know, it's also logical. I'm not, I'm not, again, you know, people who are listening to the show are going to say, Estrella sold out. No, it's, it's, I haven't sold out. It's just, but, you know, the whole point of when you extrapolate knowledge, you know, to, you know into the future exponentially, it, it, it kind of makes a lot of the stuff a lot of sense. And what you said is absolutely true. And I talk about it in tra- uh, Transvolution, the coming age of human deconstruction, which, uh, you know, basically saying what you just said, that uh, the generation of the kids who are today are five to ten years old, they're the last. 100% human generation of human beings, forget, forgive the repetition, uh, planet Earth, their children, they're going to be anything but human. They're going to be transhuman, post-human, man-machine cyborgs, you know, beings who are not totally human as a result of, of the revolution in, synth- in synthetic biology. And this kind of stuff, you know, also if you kind of think, you know, to the future, the fact that there's going to come a time where human beings are going to have to leave planet Earth because of overpopulation. And I'm not pushing the club of Rome agenda. I'm just saying, you know, you're always going to have enough space. You know, there are 7 billion people on the planet Earth. You can all put them, you know, you can put these 7 billion into the state of Texas. They're not going to be very comfortable, but you can put them all in there. And the fact is that, you know, you have all this other space on the planet Earth. It goes to show that you're going to have, you know, gazillions of people on the planet Earth. What you don't have is water, what you don't have food, what you don't have are natural resources. And so the fact is that in the future, if you extrapolate planet Earth, whatever, 500 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, 10,000 years, are we going to be here? Probably not. So the point is we have to start thinking about where we're going to be because the whole thing of immortality is to assure the survival of the species, which means that we're going to have to conquer space, which is one of the reasons why you have you know, the Americans, the Russians, the, you know, the Chinese, the Japanese, the, the, the Indians, you know, European space agency, all of these, you know, great nations or, or groups or blocks working towards conquering the moon. That's the next space race. When you get to the moon, you have the natural resources to go, you know, to Mars and from there beyond. And so what this kind of stuff is, is being done, it's, it's natural. It's how it's being done and what purposes, you know, this stuff is being done for. That's the problem with, you know, with this agenda. And for example, I'll give you one very concrete example. You know, the transhumanist circles, they're talking about synthetic and, and functional capabilities of biology uh, to create biologically-based manufacturing platforms to provide access to new materials, capabilities, and also manufacturing paradigms based uh, in biology and synthetic biology. And, you know, this is amazing kind of stuff. You, you know, let me give you an example. Imagine uh, materials, Sheila, that self-assemble, heal, and also adapt to their changing environments as biological systems do. It's the kind of stuff you see, you know, in, in, in uh, Terminator 5 or 6 or 7 or whatever it is. And this program, which is, of course, financed by DARPA in the United States, it currently focuses on compressing the biological design, build, test, learn cycle by at least 10 times in both time and cost while 
uh, simultaneously increasing the complexity of systems that are being created. And the second phase of the program, basically, it builds on, on these advancements and tools to create a scalable, integrated, rapid design and prototyping infrastructure for the engineering of biology. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that these people are invested in. And also, American government is investing a lot of money, for example, into mind-controlling, you know, controlled limbs. And that's an amazing story in itself. You know, DARPA again, they're, you know, they're investing a lot of money in limb prosthetics that's already developed an FDA-approved device, you know, which they call, you know, cognitive prosthetics. And, you know, so DARPA is developing literally this hardware and software to overcome the memory deficits and neurophysiatric illnesses afflicting returning veterans, for example, okay? And DARPA is supposedly working towards a system that would allow one person to pilot multiple vehicles by thought alone. And so the approach is bigger than just, you know, thought-controlled drones because it focuses on literally creating symbiosis, which is to ensure a mutual benefit to both partners in a relationship. And the potential of this idea is often overlooked and often misunderstood, you know, in conversations about machine intelligence, for example, you know, and together with, you know, a cortical model, which is another thing that these people are working on, these devices, they promise to revolutionize human abilities to repair ourselves, extend ourselves, communicate, and indeed, they will eventually and inevitably alter what it means to be human, as I talked about in, in trans evolution. So where's this boundary between self and other? If we can, you know, directly share thoughts, dreams, emotions, and ideas, is that good? Is that bad? How do you understand this? Where, you know, does our consciousness end and this collective, you know, consciousness, which they call singularity begin? When we can experience not only the, you know, the thoughts, but feelings of someone else, how will this you know, direct neural access to knowledge, change education and work. You know, these technologies raise a lot of questions for which we simply don't have the answers. And so I wouldn't say Bilderberg because they simply don't have the technological know-how to understand any of this stuff. But certainly at very high level, you know, uh, forward-thinking organizations, you have a lot of this kind of stuff being, you know, bandied around and, and kicked around and thought about and, uh, it's amazing what the world is going to look like if we make it through this, you know, this, this horrendous mess, you know, we find ourselves in right now. Well, all I know is that this is a very evil, nefarious situation that we find ourselves in. And meriting that label post-human is just unthinkable. The tentacles are just absolutely woven into everything. I mean, this is a, a runaway train. But again, I want to throw out there, Daniel is not, and again, I've read the book Trans Evolution, Daniel's not saying this is a good thing. He's just saying this is the reality that we face. Not long ago, China created the first genetically engineered embryo. You were talking about synthetic DNA, creating individuals in labs, scientists, manufacturing a human, essentially rebrain engineering, DARPA, cortical modems, neurostimulation, augmented projects. You cover this in your book, Trans Evolution. I mean, it's one thing to see a robot greeter, but when you have these, as you alluded to, uninhabited combat vehicles, entire squadrons of robot planes and entire fleets of robot-driven military vehicles and you couple that with augmenting humans right out of being even human I mean really as to merit not being made anymore in God's image I mean what happens when people aren't mankind in all your research you did for your book Trans Evolution Daniel what really did surprise you the most 
I think just the whole concept itself, you know, what it means is you know, this this change from human to post, you know, to to transhuman to post-human. And it's a, it's inevitable change, and a lot of people misunderstood, you know, the meaning of my book. Some of them, you know, completely misunderstood the intention. They said that you know I'm promoting transhumanism. I was not promoting transhumanism. It was a book of investigative journalism which basically explains create. I created a three-dimensional model that explains near future of humanity in all of its manifestations from the point of view of of transhumanism, space exploration. You know the whole thing about uh, the media itself. Uh, you know the role of, of genetically modified crop, the role of synthetic biology. You know the economy itself, how that works in context with all these things we're talking about right now. But needless to say, you know there's just so much stuff out there, and all this stuff is you know is so uh, cutting edge and, and 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 way out there that you know we, we we can't even fathom this kind of stuff. You know being real, it's which is again if you you know if you're a close observer of what's going on around us, you know, the current affairs, you realize that, you know, Hollywood as an industry itself is driven by these kinds of projects because, again, Hollywood is controlled by the people who run the world from behind the scenes, so they need to get this kind of information out there. We had, you know, series which only lasted for a year. I liked it a lot. It was called Almost Human, um, where basically you had men and, you know, men-made cyborgs working together side by side in the year 2048, you know, in, in a world infested by crime to, you know, to protect humanity. But that only lasted a year. Now they have this new series, it's a Swedish series, which is supposed to be, you know, a kind of a better version of almost human, but it is not. It's, you know, it's, it's actually quite basic. But again, you have all these films out there, you know, from uh, Transcendence to Lucy to, uh, uh, to some of these other films, you know, Ex Machine, you know, these are great films to actually understand how a lot of the stuff, you know, these agendas are being driven by these individuals. Elysium, a, a film which came out, I think, like two years ago, if not mistaken, with Matt Damon, where they talk about this, you know, uh, artificial planet between the planet Earth and, and, and the moon, where the rich people live and the rest of humanity, which is 99%, lived on the planet Earth, which was invested and destroyed, you know, by our inefficiency and, and lack of natural, res natural resources. And so this is the kind of stuff we see today. It's there. It's all around us. Uh, you have video games like Deus Ex, which is an amazing video game. For me, it's the best video game out there in the history of the world, put together by a company in, in Montreal, Canada, and it's always been, you know, a hub for, for great computer video games you know futuristic kind of stuff and and it's amazing if you haven't seen you know a look at it Deus X great video game just to understand what these people are talking about when you're when they're dealing with with the future of humanity so all this kind of stuff is surprising in itself there's not just one element it's all of it it's how it works together and also you realize that their organizations, very powerful groups of people, such as, for example, Russia 2045, which is a movement. And by 2045, the idea is you'll be able to download your consciousness onto an avatar of your choosing. So again, there is that film Avatar, which is a big part of this whole transhumanist agenda. And so when you look at it in context, when you put it in perspective, all of these things, you know, the films, the industry itself, the, the future of humanity, the, you know, the technology, the advance of technology, space exploration, you realize that what actually is being done is there's going to come a time where we're going to have to leave planet Earth, but as human beings, you know, with this box, which we call our body, we won't be able to survive in space. So they're changing, for example, our DNA through genetically modified crop, because again, this body will not survive in space. So the need to create another kind of body using synthetic blood, changing our DNA, changing our skin, changing our everything, our organs. So you're going to have to change humanity. And, you know, now we have this whole new race of children being born, uh, which we've never had on the planet Earth, being born, you know, from DNA of three people. And so you can talk about this new, you know, new race. But again, all of this points to what I talked about in the book a year ago, is the fact that the generation of the kids who are today five, ten years old, they're not going to have, you know, their kids are 
not going to be human. They're going to be anything but human, which is, again, you know, part of, of, of development. And Vatican, you know, Sheila is also very concerned, not because they're concerned, but because, you know, Vatican for the last 2,000 years is the number one Fortune 500 company in money-making, you know, and saving souls and God and all this other kind of stuff. That's, you know, that's secondary and tertiary. It's not really all that important. It's just one of the lines of work. But the fact is, is that you're going to have this transhumanist agenda. They also want to have a part in the conversation because needless to say, if we don't no longer need God, you know, to procreate, then the whole thing about God just, you know, disappears. And so they need to have a role. And so they have this uh, private council of over 80 of, of the world's most important Nobel Prize winners in every speciality you can imagine, from astrophysics to chemistry. And of course, Stephen Hawkins is, is one of the, the consultants with the Vatican, not because he's a believer, because he's not, but the fact is that he has a lot of knowledge and Vatican needs to know what these people think and how the humanity is going to change over the next you know, millennia. And so they're very much in the conversation. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. It's exciting times. But at the same time, you know, as Jacob said, it's the best of times and the worst of times. And I'm not sure if, you know, if, if, if uh, we've ever had a period like this in, you know, in, in human history. Well, you mentioned the Vatican. And just this Monday, Daniel, there was a leaked document, the Pope's 192-page encyclical. It's, you know, really unprecedented that the Pope now is essentially saying in this climate action plan, they're looking at a global planet regime with a world court on climate. Are you surprised that the Green Pope, the patron saint of the environment, is really jumping on board this green agenda? No, I'm not surprised at all. He's a Jesuit Pope, and that should tell you everything you need to know. You know yeah. He's there. He's been, he's been brought in to destroy the church from within, and I have a lot of uh, uh, friends uh, who are very high-level ecclesiastic members of, of you know of, of of the congregation, and who actually live and work in Italy, in the Vatican, and uh, uh, and uh, these people are just you know uh, gasped the fact that this is a heretic pope, and uh, a lot of they're doing their best to get him out of here, and uh, uh, and uh, you know it, it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I wouldn't go as far as you know to say that you know this guy is part of you know some kind of a Bilderberg conspiracy, but needless to say, as I said again, church. Has a, you know, ha, they have a stake, they have a horse in the race. And, uh, you know, the powers will be, uh, you're not talking about God, but, on, you know, on, on the human, you know, uh, you know Terra-like level, <laughs> planet Earth, they basically, you know, they said, you want to play? You want to play along with us. You know, we need this from you. We're going to give this to you. So you support that and, you know, you're going to be part of, you know, of the conversation. And, uh, again, I'm not surprised why this is being done. Well, Vatican has always been about politics. They're, you know, they're better than anybody else which is why they've been around for 2,000 years and no one else has. You know, even, you know, the, the vaunted uh, of Venetian black nobility and their diplomatic corps, which basically has, you know, has created, you know, modern diplomacy and has survived first, you know, in that uh, lagoon in, in the Adriatic and then, you know, as the British Empire today, which is basically the same Venetian Empire, only, you know, in, in a different uh, mask. Uh, they're the same people who uh, who've been doing this for the last thousand years. The Vatican has been doing this for the last two thousand years, and again, it's part of the conversation. And I'm not surprised at all at anything that's going on. And I'm not even talking about you know the the pedophilia. I I don't, I don't doubt for a minute that there were some very high level discussions between the Vatican and some very important supranational organizations beyond the governmental levels who sat down with the Pope said, look. We're going to, you know, make sure that this whole pedophilia thing no longer, you know, is, is, is in the media. And we're going to give you this, that, and the other. And in exchange for that, you're going to give us your full support on the, uh, 
on the green agenda, which is again, it's not surprising that it was leaked, quote unquote, because again, I, I you know, I, it wasn't leaked; it was you know put out there on purpose, and uh, and people fell for it. But you know, what Vatican is it's a political entity, and they know diplomacy better than anyone else. Well, and you mentioned the pedophilia, and of course, it's linked to the British Prince Philip, Prince Andrew, the very sinister ring of, it's really a cabal of pedophiles. Now, this is kind of like a return to the British East Indian Company, speaking of British, with a new modern face, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. Absolutely. It's, it's always been the plan. You know, and, and they're, they're putting it together very, very well. And, you know, it's, uh, people forget that the British Empire didn't end when, uh, you know, when, when the First World War finished. It ended, uh, you know, it's still there today. It's just, you know, they changed their, their game plan. And, and uh, the British Empire is still the evil that uh, has befallen the world. And if you can, you know, hope for a better world, you have to make sure that the London Wall Street axis uh, is, is taken care of. And until you do, you're not going to ever be able to live in peace. So true. Well, Daniel, one of the things I'm very excited to talk about in the last part of the show is you are now at the finish line of your movie. You went to over 11 countries. Talk about your experience during the filming of Bilderberg, the movie, when it's set for release, and anything surprising that happened along the long path of making this outstanding documentary. Well, what I'm surprised is how long it, you know, it actually took us to do this because, uh, you know, initially we, we got going with this project, I think it was like six years ago, and uh, when Bill Clinton was still a young boy, <laughs> basically... <laughs> You know, and what happened was we had uh, this uh, very well-known American producer from Hollywood who was, you know, really gone home and doing this. He read my books. He, he loved them and you know, he wanted to participate. And, you know, he thought that he had two small children. He wanted to uh, uh, be part of this project. And uh, something happened along the way, I think like six months, seven months later, we were actually getting ready to go on our, you know, first uh, our trip to uh, to you know to to interview people. He got calls from some you know strange individuals at two o'clock in the morning who told him to get out of the project or else. Wow. And uh, you know he thought it was a frank frank call and uh, uh, he kind of blew it off until you know they, they they called him back a couple of days later and asked him if he you know if he understood what they said to him. And that's when he realized they were serious and you know they said they've been watching him. They gave him a couple of things that his children and his wife had done you know the last few days and they said you know we're not going to call you again. And he called my publisher, Chris Milligan, from Trine Day Press, and he said, guys, I'm sorry, I can't do this. You know, I've been scared, you know, just you know, out of my mind by what these people said, and they're serious, I'm out. And now he's, you know, doing uh, Jennifer Alliston films, and yeah, from what I understand, he's doing very well, so God bless him. And then another thing that happened is about three years later, we, you know, a, a Spanish uh, producer also read my books, and, you know, he was really interested in doing something again. And, and we got into this, you know, we were on the road, we went to Brussels and we were in Italy. We got a call from, uh, from his secretary and basically what had happened, if you believe conspiracy theories or coincidence theories, you know, he had loans with three years, a lot of money as a millionaire, but he used to say, when you have a lot of money, you have loans and, you know, use that money to, you know, to build a portfolio. And so three banks called in his loans on the same day and basically, you know, blew him out of the water and, and financially wiped him out. Wow. And so, yeah, this is, this is what happened. And uh, again, I'm sure it was a coincidence theory. But uh, about two years ago, I, I, you know, I said, like, we got to do this, you know, and we put our money, we put about a quarter of a million dollars of our hard-earned money into this film. And uh, it's been quite a slog. We've uh, 
traveled to interview people in 11 countries, Canada, the United States, Mexico, England, uh, France, uh, Luxembourg, Germany, uh, Italy, uh, Spain, uh, and I, I'm sure I missed a couple of Russia. There's a couple, you know, in there that I missed, but anyway, and so we've done... Uh, over 100 hours of recordings, uh, and this film is, is done. Uh, this The Bilderberg meeting itself was, you know, the icing on the cake, and I went to uh, to Innsbruck. I didn't get too close to the meeting because my sources who gave me the initial information, but the meeting told me that, you know, these people are waiting for you, so if, if you come, they're not going to do anything to you, but, they, you know, they, they may arrest you and, and put you in the, in the holding cell for the you know, duration of the conference. So, you know, you better stay put where you are. So I stayed in Innsbruck. We still got all our information from our sources, but we sent our guys, you know, incognito. They didn't tell anyone that they were, you know, part of our team. And they recorded, you know, the protests and the cows and the and the donkeys or whatever. And other animals are, you know, mulling around the, the, the hills and the mountains there in Austria, close to the hotel. And that information is going to certainly come useful, the, uh, the, photo, the photography, you know, as the last little bit I use for the Bilderberg documentary, and then it's done. It's it's finished, and uh, we are getting ready to go on North American tour sometime in the fall with the film. Wow, North American tour. Well, that's very exciting, and I'm so pleased, Daniel, that finally all your hard work has come into fruition in this incredible documentary. I know it's been a really hard road for you, the opposition, and then, of course, you talked about the producers that were bailing out left, right, and center. So I'm sure it's been a long, tough six years, and kudos to you for finishing it. Does it surprise you the amount of people that have now woken up to Bilderberg, really because of your efforts? Ah, uh, you know, I, I am to a certain extent because it's, it's uh, you know, people, they've been conditioned, as you well know, Sheila, uh, to believe what's in the front pages of, you know, mainstream periodicals, being New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Fox, or, you know, BBC. So, and they often, for many, many years, they'd come and tell me, hey, what you're saying is true, why aren't you on the cover of the New York Times? And, you know, it took them a long time to understand and for me to explain that the mainstream press they're part of the world elite, which is one of the reasons they're not there to get the information out, you know, and we need people like you and, and others uh, in the alternative media to actually get this information out. And even in the alternative media, how many mainstream alternative press are gatekeepers, such as, you know, uh, The Nation, the, the, you know, the uh, uh, Amy Goodman, for example, she would never have me anywhere near her and, you know, she talked to Ed Snowden and, and, uh, and these people and, you know, she'd never have me because, you know, you cannot talk about Bilderberg. You, you simply cannot do that. And the fact is that we have at least a class, this global you know, awakening taking place, in part due to my book, but also in part to the fact that you know, so much alternative media and, and the mainstream press, they're simply not controlling you know, the dialogue any longer because only 35% of the people actually get their information from, the, from, you know, from television, from the mainstream newspapers. Most people have their smartphones. There's a billion of them out there. There's another billion coming online in the next five years, most of them in Asia. And so these people, you know, they're, they're independent, they're, they're curious, you know, you, they may not have a running water or, you know, a toilet or, you know, or, you know, hot water, but uh, they, they have access, you know, to, to this global communication system where they can instantaneously be in touch with everybody in the world and the mainstream press is not controlling this. And so basically what's happening is you, know, they, you have this, you know, two billion people getting all the information from other sources and, and, and they're curious and, and they're young and, and they're interested and they don't believe anything they hear from the mainstream press. And the, again, the media simply doesn't control the dialogue, they don't know how to. And that's one of the things that's happening with Bilderberg, why they're becoming more and more irrelevant 
is that the people who go to these meetings, apart from the fact that most of them are dinosaurs, is that the same kinds of people talking the same kinds of things to each other. And so there's no new blood who come from different kinds of sectors. And until they can actually incorporate these, you know, infuse these meetings with people who think out of the box in a very, you know, far out way, that Bilderberg is going to be, you know, going the way of the dodo bird. <laughs> there's a headline I'm sure we won't see in the New York Times tomorrow. Bilderberg going the way of the toto bird. <laughs> well, Daniel, it was such a pleasure to have you on the program. I know you got to run. You've got a bunch of more interviews to do. I am very excited about your North American tour, the launch of your documentary. That is going to be incredible. And what a tool to wake up the other ones in humanity that are fast asleep at the wheel and in a dystopic stupor. It is incredible the amount of work, again, that you've done. You're a brave and courageous man. Tell the listeners how they can support you. I don't know where things are at financially with the movie or if that's an issue, but please do tell people how they can get behind you and support you, Daniel. I think right now that everything financially, as far as the film is concerned, that's all you've been taken care of. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter, which is at Daniel. Uh, they can certainly help us by going to my publisher's uh, webpage, tryingday.com tryingday.com uh, Chris Milligan or call him at uh, uh, 1-800-556-2012 1-800-556-2012 and order my books or any other books of uh, you know alternative history uh, from him uh, he certainly has a lot of these amazing books on, on subjects which most people don't even know exist and uh, I think that's probably the best way to do this is you know power through knowledge and understand get educated make sure that, you know you think independently make sure you, you you think abstractly you learn how to think abstractly because only if you can think abstractly you can put these things together and understand how the world around you really works yes well that's good advice as always Daniel I know you got to run I know you've got to hop on the Alex Jones show I know you're a very busy man and I thank you so much. I really appreciate you stopping by the program. You truly are one of our favorite guests. I know you've certainly been very instrumental in, as I said before, shaping what I do today. And I thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for coming on the program today, Daniel. And God bless. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Folks, that was the amazing Daniel Estelin weighing in on Bilderberg 2015. Folks, please do remember to sign up for my podcast. You can just click on that Sheila's Podcast pink button on the right-hand side of the website. You can download those on your iPhone as well. All you have to do is, again, click on that link and follow me on Podomatic and also follow me on MixLR. That is the live broadcast from any smartphone daily. Again, I broadcast Monday to Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio, WWCR. And I'd like to give a big shout out to all those tuning in from WWCR, as well as those people tuning in over there at WINB. Tomorrow, we have a fantastic guest. We have Patrick Wood, the author of of Technocracy Rising. It's going to be a fantastic show. And then Friday, the one and only Chuck Baldwin stops in for the first part of the program. It's going to be a fantastic end to the week. And lastly, please do consider joining the prayer team. It's every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. 
The information is on my website. There's a button that says join our prayer group. We would love to have you join that. I am a part of that. Again, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I have a lot of Christians tuning into the broadcast. We would love to have you join us on a very powerful prayer line. Prayer is powerful, folks. So please do prayerfully consider joining that. I thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night and God bless. What do you say about their influence? I mean, there's very powerful people there. Why does it have to be so secret? I mean, there is no secrecy. It's, uh, it's just a private meeting. If you want to know the evils lurking within the Bilderberg group, look no further than the following quotes from Bilderberg insiders and those who've studied the secretive cabal. Bill Gates. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out per unit of energy. Probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Dr. Henry Kissinger at the 1992 Bilderberg meeting at Evian's France. Today, America would be outraged if UN troops entered Los Angeles to restore order referring to the 1991 L.A. riots. Tomorrow, they will be grateful. This is especially true if they were told that there were an outside threat from beyond, i.e. an extraterrestrial invasion, whether real or promulgated, that threatened our very existence. It is then that all peoples of the world will plead to deliver them from this evil. The one thing every man fears is the unknown. When presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by the world government. David Rockefeller wrote in his book Memoirs, If the Council on Foreign Relations raises the hackles of the conspiracy theorists, the Bilderberg meetings must induce apocalyptic visions of omnipotent international bankers plotting with unscrupulous government officials to impose cunning schemes on an ignorant and unsuspecting world. At the 1991 Bilderberg meeting at Badan, Germany, a meeting also attended by Bill Clinton, David Rockefeller said, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subjected to the lights of publicity during those years. But the world is more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. And David Rockefeller from his book Memoirs again, Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. Already we've seen leading members of Congress used to always attend the Speaker of the House, uh, representatives, ranking senators would attend. Now they don't dare because they get mail from their own constituents. Their own, uh, voters in their own congressional district are in their st home state for the senators saying, if you do business with uh, these criminals in anymore, we'll never vote for you again. And they've been politically frightened out of the ballgame. 19th century politician and historian 
Lord Acton said the issue which has swept down the centuries and which will have to be fought sooner or later is the people versus the banks. The ruthless and cunning behavior of the attendees of the Bilderberg Conference can be summed up in the Machiavelli quote, Men are so simple and so much inclined to obey immediate needs that a deceiver will never lack victims for his deceptions. We can see the ripples of secrecy in the Bilderberg Group and that of President Obama's TPP and Adam Weishaupt, founder of the Illuminati's quote, The great strength of our order lies in its concealment. Let it never appear in any place in its own name, but always concealed by another name and another occupation. Baron Nathan Mayor Rothschild said, I care not what puppet is placed on the throne of England to rule the empire. The man that controls Britain's money supply controls the British Empire, and I control the money supply. And if those quotes aren't creepy enough for you, David Spangler of the United Nations Directory of the Planetary Initiative said, No one will enter the New World Order unless he or she will make a pledge to worship Lucifer. No one will enter the New Age unless he will take a Luciferian initiation.